from WNYC in New York. It's America. Are we ready? Tonight, America, are we ready to count the votes? And if necessary, count them some more and count them some more and count them some more. And if in dispute, count them again. Good evening, everyone. I'm Brian Lehrer from WNYC. And election returns coverage begins right now, as the polls have just closed in six states. Two of them are considered swing states, Georgia and most of Florida. A little bit of Florida, the panhandle, the western panhandle is in the central time zone, so that area doesn't close for another hour. But we may get some early returns from the majority of Florida very soon. We'll see. And maybe we'll get them early from Georgia. Then at 7.30... Eastern Time. The polls will close in Ohio, and they were supposed to close in the crucial battleground state of North Carolina, but you in the Tar Heel State will get a little extra time tonight, apparently, because of some delays earlier today. We will go live to Georgia and North Carolina coming up. We also have some call-in questions for any of you anywhere in the country that I'll invite you to call in on in just a minute. It'll be our informal, unofficial, thoroughly unscientific election night exit poll. But first, let me introduce you to my guest for the full hour who will stay with us and offer context and analysis even as other people come and go. And that is Fordham University political science professor Christina Greer, who is also co-host of the podcast FAQ NYC, politics editor for The Grio, and author of the book Black Ethnics. Happy election night, Christina. Thank you, Brian. You forgot to say I was president of the Brian Lair fan club. Uh, I think uh, <laughs> I'm, now I'm blushing and I don't know what to say. So maybe the first thing worth saying is that as far as I know, it's been a pretty peaceful and orderly day around the country. And I realize the day isn't over in most states and lots of things could happen once the counting begins. But to see some of the press the last few days You'd have thought we might be seeing standoffs or attacks or who knows what at polling places. What's your impression just of the voting process so far today? So far, it seems to be peaceful. I really do hope that um, whatever the results uh, show, especially if Joe Biden is victorious this evening, that it remains that way and that the president makes sure that his supporters hear from him directly that uh, a peaceful transference of power is what will happen, what should happen, and they should definitely sort of go back into their homes, something that the president nor the vice president has, has articulated in a succinct way uh, in any of the debates or when they've been asked directly. So I think some of that angst and anxiety that so many people, and especially my students, have felt uh, hasn't been unwarranted. Uh, and I think that we're very lucky thus far. But uh, I think many people are still going to remain vigilant, though, Brian, just because we've seen so many armed vigilantes uh, across the United States trying to intimidate uh, voters and just citizens uh, during an election season. And we'll see what the president does if, in fact, the count goes against him and how peaceful that transfer of power turns out to be in that event. As far as Election Day itself, I mean, there are always some individual incidents here and there. But they can get amplified in the media and look like a trend when they're not. The media in New York had something in Brooklyn where a pro-Trump father and son got into a profane yelling match with some people at a polling place. In North Carolina, according to the Daily Beast, an armed man was arrested after returning to a polling site he was banned from hours earlier. 
for, quote, possibly intimidating other voters, according to authorities. Um, But, you know, just these little things uh, is all we know. And considering that stores have been boarded up in many cities and all kinds of stuff, and I realize it is early yet, but so far so good, it seems like, in that respect. Listeners, we're going to open up the phones for an informal, unofficial, thoroughly unscientific Election Day exit poll. I'll put three questions out there. Answer any one of these three. Okay, you get a choice. If you're voting today, why did you wait till today? There were so many early voting choices this year. Uh, That's one. Oh, and um, producers, could you put the the call-in number for for this evening in uh, in my chat box for me? Uh, forgive me, it's sometimes different on different shows. I want to make sure I give you the right call-in number, but I'll give you the three questions in the meantime. There were so many early voting choices this year. Why did you wait until today if you did wait until today? Another one, if you changed parties for your presidential vote this year, which way did you flip, right? If you voted for Clinton and now Trump or Trump and now Biden, tell us which way you flipped and why. And here's a personal one. If you live in a split candidate household, how are you voting and how is your spouse or your parent or child or whoever you live with voting? And how hard has that been for you under the same roof this year when because of COVID, you're probably spending more time together than ever? So there you go. And the phone number is 844-745-TALK, 844-745-8255 from anywhere in America, 844-745-TALK. And I'll give you those again, and you can choose to answer any of these three questions. Your choice. Pick whichever one you prefer to answer. If you're voting today, Election Day, why did you wait till today? If you changed parties for your presidential vote this year compared to 2016, which way did you flip? And if you live in a split candidate household, How are you voting, and how is your spouse or your parent or your child or whoever you live with voting, and how's that going for you guys under one roof? 844-745-TALK, 844-745-8255, 844-745-TALK, and I will tell you in advance, kind of warn you in advance, that we don't have that many lines, so if we happen to get a whole bunch of people from one city or something like that. We may bump you just so we get the, uh, the, the diversity uh, from around everywhere, okay? And while your calls are coming in, Christina, overall, what kind of vote counting process are you anticipating for president, including most likely challenges to wind up in court, or what, what, what's, what's the big picture? How can you help people watch as an informed viewer or listen as an informed listener tonight? Right. And I know so many people are frantically checking Twitter and and the New York Times and AP and many people, many news outlets follow the AP. I actually have been playing with 272win.com. That's 2702win. Uh, And you can plug in your what you think certain states will will do, whether they'll go democratically or Republican. Um, I think starting with Joe Biden, I think he's hoping that he will win enough states uh, that can be, you know, officially called this evening where he is over 270. And so even if North Carolina or Florida or Pennsylvania are still 
too close to call or too many ballots percentage-wise are out and they can't make a definitive decision, I think he's hoping that uh, he'll get over that 270 threshold and it really won't matter. So if you remember in 2008, when Barack Obama ran against John McCain, Florida was not decided, surprise, surprise, but he had such a, a significant lead in the Electoral College, it didn't matter for that evening. They could confirm that Barack Obama would be the president-elect. Uh, I think Donald Trump, as he has articulated uh, several times, and as Steve Bannon has said, uh, that they want to essentially claim victory this evening. Uh, and if that's not possible, then to make sure they can turn it over to the courts. And this is part of the reason why he was so adamant that Mitch McConnell assist him in putting Amy Coney Barrett uh, on the court, because if we have a Bush v. Gore situation, if you all remember in 2000, the five versus four uh, Supreme Court decision that said Florida would stop counting, uh, it went in favor of Bush. His brother just happened to be the governor. Uh, his father just happened to have confirmed two of those justices that made that decision. And the vote was 5-4, but what's, what's really important is that the opinion essentially said, uh, we are doing this, but this is not precedent. Uh, so even Bush v. Gore is not precedent for what could happen in a Trump v. Biden Supreme Court case. By the way, listeners, if you want to tweet a question or a comment or an answer to our caller questions, you can tweet at me, Brian Lehrer, B-R-I-A-N-L-E-H-R-E-R, -E -E at Brian Lehrer. If you want to use Twitter, I'll keep an eye on it. And let's take our first caller, Claire in Philadelphia. You're on America. Are we ready? Hi, Claire. Thanks for calling in. Hi, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing okay. So you chose to vote today rather than any early way in I, Pennsylvania, huh? I did, yes. Um, originally, I was going to do the mail-in voting, especially in light of COVID and wanting to be safe. Um, but when I reflected on it, I just thought it was so powerful um, that this was the 100th year that I, as a woman, have the right to vote. Um, and I thought it was particularly powerful that on this anniversary, I could vote for a woman vice presidential candidate that I'm really excited about. So I just thought that felt really symbolic and really special. So luckily, I was COVID symptom free and could take all the safety precautions to do that in person today. Claire, congratulations on getting that vote in. Oh, how long was the line in your precinct place in, uh, in Philly? Yeah, I was lucky. The line was not long at all. So I'm a teacher. So I taught uh, for the day or had development at school for the day and then afterwards got to the polls and it really only took me about 10 minutes. So things are moving smoothly today. Claire, thanks a lot. People are calling in with answers to all three of our questions. So Claire just answered, why did you vote today when there were so many early options? I think we have a flipper compared to 2016 and it's Jose in Albany, Georgia. Jose, you're on America. Are we ready? Hi there. Uh, hi, hello. How's it going? Good. Who'd you vote for in 2016? Who'd you vote for today? So I'm a I'm a I'm a Republican, registered Republican. Uh, last time around uh, was uh, President Trump. This time around, uh, well, hopefully uh, President Biden. But this, in this case, Mr. Biden uh, for now. Tell us uh, why. That was my vote. Uh, the reason why is uh, I'm a Latino voter. Uh, and even though I align myself with the Republican values, uh, just the rhetoric uh, from the president among so many uh, people groups, uh, including Latinos, uh, it was just uh, very difficult for me to, to stomach. Uh, most of the policies are not very inclusive, uh, even though they may align with a certain version of the Republican Party. It's not the Republican Party 
that I signed up for. It's not the Republican Party that truly cares about people and about, you know, uh, the conservatism. Uh, I'm a minister myself, so, uh, you know, I, I saw myself not only voting for my conscience, but also voting for those who cannot vote, either minors or undocumented people, people that I work with, people that need protection. And sometimes uh, at least the certain version that the president has right now of the Republican Party is not fulfilling what we used to have, which was caring for people. Jose, thank you very much for your call. Pastor, thank you for your call. And answering our third caller question, we're going to go to Alexis, a Florida voter who lives in a split candidate household, it seems. Hi, Alexis, you're on America. Are we ready? Hi, how are you doing? Good. Tell us about your household. Yes, can you hear me? Yes, can I can you hear you now. Me? Yes. Tell us about um, your household. Who did you yeah. vote for? Who do you um, live with? And who are they voting for? I voted for um, hopefully soon to be President Biden. Um, and my fiance voted for President Trump. Um, this is my first time voting. Um, and this is his second time voting. And so we've, you know, been dealing with different, you know, a different voting household for the past few months. It's an interesting situation to be in while you're engaged, I imagine. Yeah, yes, and not that I've reconsidered anything, but it's definitely been, um, it's, it's tested our relationship, and I think it's made us stronger, and it, it, it's made us realize that it's not always about politics. At the, you know, at the end of the day, it's about love, and it's about you know, caring for each other, and I think that's what I try to get across to him when I try to inform him about Biden and, you know, love over hate, but um, at the end of the day, he ended up voting for Trump, and, um, you know, I still would choose love over hate. Mm-hmm. So you say love over hate. That's the shortest version, I guess, of why you're voting for Biden. What's the shortest version of why he's voting for Trump? Um, at first, he said economy and taxes. Um, and then, you know, we talked about, you know, Trump isn't going to, is not going to raise taxes over anybody making less than 400000 and it's still, he felt like with taxes going up for the higher, um, for the wealthy, that it's going to still trickle down and affect us um, in other ways by them raising up prices, price gouging, that kind of stuff. So um, his term was more money side, even though he doesn't make over $400,000. Uh-huh. Right. Well, I'm glad to hear that love can triumph over politics. Uh, so, Alexis, sounds like you're off to a good start in your relationship. Thank you for your call. This is America. Are we ready? And Christina Greer, an interesting first set of callers. Um, I'm thinking mm-hmm. about Jose uh, in Albany, Georgia, who flipped from 2016 to 2020. There have been signs in recent days, um, and I'm asking since he identified himself as a Latino voter in those words, according to some media that Democrats were getting worried about African-American and Latino turnout. Do you have any observation on that? Well, you know, from some of the early numbers we've seen, we've seen historic Latino and black turnout uh, since so many states have adopted early voting. Uh, I'm not sure how much credence we can give to sort of black men flipping, right? I mean, there have been Yes, lots of celebrities, rappers, um, who aren't necessarily thought leaders who've been a little 
late to the game and endorsing the president, but I don't know if that necessarily trickles down. I mean, we did see in 2016, when you look at the aggregate of, say, black voters who voted for Trump, it was about, you know, 4% black women and and 13% uh, black men, and then you sort of added it together, and that's how you got your, you know, your 9% or so of black Republican voters for Trump. And we know that black men tend to be a little more conservative, you know, whether or not they're in the military or the police force, or their economic aspirational voters. So we might see a little movement, but I, I think that there's so many new voters to the process, and we've seen this in Texas with early voting. Uh, so many young Latino voters are, are brand new, and I think that we've seen, especially in southern states and northeastern states, so many new early voters uh, who are who are black, black men and black women participating. And so I think that that might bode well for Biden. I, I don't really see a huge shift over to Trump. Um, I, I guess the exit polls will tell us more succinctly, but I think that's more of the president wanting to sort of uh, parade a few folks. I mean, he no longer has Herman Cain to parade for him, sadly, but he's you know chosen some other uh, black rappers to do that. But I don't know if that necessarily trickles down uh, to the grassroots organizing that's being done in places like Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, Philadelphia more specifically, where we've seen rampant voter suppression, but also disinformation that has targeted black men specifically uh, through Facebook ads and, and everything else in 2016. I guess disinformation is something that everybody talks about. And if it's effective disinformation, you don't see it until it's too late. If you're a reporter or a political science professor or a government official, one thing I saw that was out there Uh, was messages, and I don't know how narrowly targeted they were, but I think they were targeted at Democrats, to stay home, stay safe, trying to suppress the vote. Did you see that one? No, I didn't. Um, You know, it's interesting. I ran some focus groups, and and as you say, sort of after the fact, doing the postmortem of what happens in an election. I did some focus groups uh, earlier this year, uh, and many black men sort of touted uh, some Clinton rhetoric about Monsanto and, and things that were were proven to be patently false, uh, but clearly directed at their various Facebook feeds. So it'll be curious right. to see what disinformation happened in 2020. We'll take a short break. We'll continue in a minute. This is America. Are we ready on election night? From WNYC in New York, this is America. Are we ready tonight? Obviously. Are we ready to count the votes? I'm Brian Lehrer from WNYC with Christina Greer, politics editor for The Grio and uh, political science professor at Fordham University. We'll give you results when we have them. Um, I guess the only thing that's being projected so far is Vermont for Biden, duh, and Kentucky, which closed at six o'clock, at least in part, for Trump. Uh, again, you know, duh, everybody knows Kentucky's going to go for Trump and uh, Vermont's going to go for Biden unless there's really a shocker. What we're waiting for is early returns from Georgia, which closed at seven o'clock, big potential swing states, but only 2% of the vote has been counted there so far, so we're not going to waste your time with the results among the 2%. Um, We'll also be looking at Florida this hour. Most of Florida closed at 7 o'clock. North Carolina and Ohio close at 7.30, just a few minutes from now. We have three caller questions on the table. 
if you're voting today rather than voted early, why did you wait till today with so many options available this year? If you changed parties for your presidential vote this year, which way did you flip and why? And if you live in a split candidate household, tell us you and your husband, wife, partner, child, parent, whoever, other under your roof, uh, how did you split and how's that working out? And let's take a call. Simon in Orange County, California. Simon, you're on America. Are we ready? Hey there. Hi. Hello. So yeah, I the, see the you flipped. I, yes, I flipped from Republican to Democrat. So you voted for Trump in 2016, and the, Biden this year. How come? You know, uh, Trump's uh, corruption was just way too much for me to stomach. I mean, I couldn't see how Trump could run the country while he was involved in making all this, all these millions off of his business and getting the all these different governments and private interests paying through his properties. And what was your original? You know, I mean, what was your original attraction to him that made you vote for him in 2016? Well, I'm a lifelong Republican. I've been a lifelong Republican since I was 18. I'm 60 now, so mm-hmm. you can do the math. And I've been mm-hmm. a lifelong Republican for so long. And uh, but you know, uh, you know, I, I think I, I um, try to think of America first before you know whether I'm a Republican or a Democrat or whatever. Now you've touched a third rail. You're for America first and voted against Trump <laughs> with his own slogan. Uh, thank, thank you very much for your, for your call. We really appreciate it. We're going to get some other folks on here. Let me just thank you very off, much. click off that line. And listeners, I'll give you our call-in number again, 844-745-TALK, 844-745-8255. A Simon's line is now available. 844-745-TALK, 844-745-8255. And here's Maria in Reading, Pennsylvania. Maria, you're on America. Are we ready? Hi there. There. Um, I voted in person today. And so many early votes in Pennsylvania, so much news coverage all around the country about the early votes, the mail-in votes in Pennsylvania. How come you did this instead of that? Um, I've been volunteering in the polls since 2008 when I could not vote for um, Obama and Biden because I was not a U.S. citizen yet. So I decided I would do the next best thing, which would be to uh, work the polls. And then uh, for 2016, I put in a absentee ballot and that just never sat right with me. And um, now in 2020, I decided that I wanted that pride and that feeling of knowing that my vote was going to be counted. How was the scene at your polling place? It was a little chaotic. Um, I moved, and so this was a new poll location for me. We did not have safety um, COVID protocol. I had my mask. A lot of people had their masks. It was just a little unorganized. Um, but, you know, they did their best that they could, and, and people got their votes in. Maria, thank you so much. Mark in Neptune, New Jersey. You're on America. Are we ready? Hi, Mark. You're a party changer, right? 
Uh, yes, sir. I am. So who'd you vote for in 2016? Um, who'd you vote for today? Well, I, I voted in the uh, Green Party in 2016, but uh, now I've, I've switched to Democrat. Um, I'm, I'm an independent um, overall, but I feel that it's important to, uh, to not, not really be tied with the uh, bipartisan politics um, and, and get, get mired in that, um, you know, the two-party system. So going from, say, say the Green Party or independent uh, to Biden is, is a very important, uh, you know, decision. Um, so to stop and, Trump uh, uh, the, was more important than staking out your Green Party independent turf. Yes, sir. Mark, thank you so much. Um, you know, that's the dynamic, Christina Greer, that I'm not sure has gotten enough press. Just looking at the polls leading up to today, if they turn out to be accurate, one of the big reasons that Hillary Clinton lost in 2016 was because enough people voted for Jill Stein, the Green Party candidate, in some of the make or break states that it really was the margin. You know, people of a certain age will remember Ralph Nader in Florida in 2000 uh, and Mm -hmm. how that went as a third party candidate. And with a little bit less fanfare and emotion around it, I think, in 2016, a very similar thing happened with Jill Stein voters on the Green Party ticket to Hillary Clinton. The polls indicate this year, not so much. Right. And I mean, Brian, I don't want to show our age, but we can also remember 1992, Quite a few people, 19 million Americans voted for Ross Perot ah, right. uh, as well. So right, right. I think in 2016. And did they ever figure you know, out who that helped? Because I, yes, I do remember 1992. <laughs> I think it helped Bill Clinton. You do? Oh, for sure. Uh, I think that, you know, he made the difference in a few, Ross Perot made the difference in a few states siphoning off votes from George. H.W. Uh, Bush, which put Clinton over. And if you go to livingroomcandidate.org, you can see the maps. You can also see the, the states won and the number of electoral college votes uh, attained by each. And although Perot didn't win any electoral college votes, I think in southern states where you saw Clinton uh, win pretty decisively, he even won Louisiana that year. Uh, oh, wow. I, I think that uh, some of those southerners went with Perot uh, away from Bush and it helped Clinton in the long run. Yeah, for people who don't know that history, even though Perot didn't win any electoral votes, he won, if I remember correctly, 18% of the popular vote. 18%. So that certainly is enough to decide some states' races. Indeed. And so when we fast forward to 2016, we saw it was roughly 5% uh, of, you know, third-party alternative party candidates who received the votes. Uh, and we can look at places like Wisconsin and Michigan that definitely hurt uh, Hillary Clinton. I mean, we also have to be very honest, even though uh, Senator Clinton and, and Secretary of State Clinton won the the popular vote, uh, there's still quite a few people who just could not pull the lever for her because of gender. And, you know, we still have to be honest about that as a democratic nation. We've not had female leadership uh, we've never had a black female governor. We're still woefully behind other small D democratic nations. And I think also, you know, the history of the Clinton family affected some of those votes as well. Uh, but definitely, as you stated, uh, the the entree of two third party candidates uh, definitely helped Donald Trump in in particular states uh, that that swayed the Electoral College vote. And ultimately, we've been living with the four years of those results. You know, one of the things that we're waiting for and are hoping for 
in this first hour of election coverage um, is the mail-in ballot results from Georgia. The polls closed in Georgia at 7 o'clock. That gives them permission to release the mail-in ballots that have been counted, and Georgia is one of those states that was counting them along the way. So presumably, all or most of the mail-in vote is tabulated and, um, and ready to be announced. However, my producer is telling me that um, that is delayed, that announcement, because a pipe burst <laughs> somewhere in the Georgia. I don't know why I'm laughing. I hope it didn't, you know, drench a lot of paper mail-in ballots um, and, and make them unreadable. But I don't think that's what happened. I think a pipe burst that for some reason has delayed the bureaucracy in making this announcement. But uh, we are waiting. We'll see how quickly they rectify that and how quickly they can announce the mail-in Georgia results, um, which we are expecting before they start counting today's votes now that the polls have just closed there. And let's take a phone call from Georgia. Lauren in Northeast Georgia, you're on America. Are we ready? Hi, Lauren. Hi. And I see you're one of those split household people. Yes. Um, in 2016, I voted for Clinton, even though she wasn't um, my favorite candidate, but I'm a never-Trumper. And um, my husband voted for Trump. And we've spent the past four years having very short and hard conversations about politics. Um, and so this year I voted for Biden and he voted for Trump again. Um, and I'm just really hoping we don't have another four years of, of these conversations again. What's the hardest part or have you figured out a way to communicate? I know people have been in couples counseling even over trying to put, you know, as an earlier caller said, uh, their love above their politics? Yeah, it's been really hard um, because, you know, he's not this huge, like, uh, huge Trump fan. He's just, he's just a conservative, and he's going to vote for the more conservative candidate. Um, but I can't look past people being willing to kind of let go of their personal values <laughs> um, and just vote for a candidate based on if they're conservative um, or more liberal. And so it, it's been a challenge for us as a couple. Um, and one of the hardest things is our children because um, we've kind of agreed to not to not talk about how how we voted or how, you know, how specifically how we feel just to make sure that they're kind of getting exposure to both sides. Um, so that we don't skew, you know, their view um, and get into arguments in front of them. So I think that's probably been one of the hardest things mm -hmm. is managing how to talk about it with our children. Lauren, good luck with family unity. And Thank may, you. <laughs> may one of your candidates win uh, before too long uh, in this month of November. Thank you very much. Sergey, outside Philly. Sergey, you're on America. Are we ready? Hello. Uh, hi, good evening. And you're a party switcher, right? I, uh, I am. I am uh, very much a libertarian, and uh, until this year, I pretty much felt that there wasn't that much difference between the two frontrunners um, for me to bother even voting, because 
Libertarian Party unfortunately can't put up anybody who can put up any kind of fight. The uh, this year, however, um, I basically decided that uh, staying out of the fray is not an option, and I absolutely have to go and vote just because um, of my attitude was basically anybody but this guy because our current president has about the same polish as some African dictators. So, uh, as a libertarian, though, let me ask you. One of the the big fears of people who are voting for Trump this year, despite viewing him in the way that you just said, is that they worry that the Democrats with their socialism, quote unquote, is are going to be worse, worse for freedom included, which would be the libertarian concern, right? Free market, don't bog my economy down with socialism. Absolutely, but the libertarian concern would also be along the lines of keeping your hands off women's bodies, you know, women's right to choice. Um, it would also be, yes, we want, we would like a smaller government. However, that was Trump's promise. He has not delivered. So, what does he have to offer me? If any, if anything, I'm flexible. You know, I'm a, I'm rational. If uh, if what we have right now isn't working, maybe we yes. should have somebody else try Something. it. Sergey, thank you so much for your call. We really appreciate it. This is America. Are we ready? And Christina Greer, an interesting set of calls. Um, anything you want to react to there? And then I've got some, some narrative exit polls, not candidate result exit polls, but narrative exit polls to share with you. Anything you want to say about those callers, though? Well, just just a point of clarification really quickly. I think that we must remove from our vernacular any comparison or, or oftentimes Americans flippantly talk about sort of African dictators. And I think the last four years have shown us the level of grift and theft uh, and authoritarian uh, principles and the way the international community looks at us. We can no longer ever look to the continent of Africa or South America and wag our fingers and talk about their leadership. I think that we have shown that our democracy uh, is more fragile than we thought. I think many of us put it in a frame, put it on a wall, and, and patted ourselves on the back and said we have attained democracy, and we have to recognize that it's something that we work on on a daily basis. It's an individual and a collective enterprise that we must uh, take very seriously. And so the comparisons that we oftentimes use for other countries uh, to say, you know, like we're not like them, we have shown over the past four years that we're a lot more like other countries than we would like to believe. So if we want to be this small-D democratic nation that we say that we have been, we have to actively work for it on a daily basis with individual and collective decisions that we make consistently, uh, and it's not a, a, a one-and-done type of deal. We have some percentages from the early national exit polls that have come in in the last few hours. These are not candidate exit polls. They're more descriptive. But you ready for a few of these, Christina? Mm-hmm. On people's top issue— 34% said the economy, 21% said racial inequality, 18% said the coronavirus, and 11% each said health care and crime. That's pretty different than in past years. I mean, I mean, maybe not the top issue, which probably is usually the economy, but then 21% said racial inequality, even three points more than said the coronavirus. Yeah, I mean, you know, the economy doesn't surprise me because most Americans go to the polls based on pocketbook issues. Uh, and 
for me, thinking of healthcare, that sort of wraps into the economy as well, just because so many families go bankrupt dealing with healthcare. Um, racial equality is interesting, and I think that we can interpret that in two ways. One, it could be seen as, you know, I wrote an op-ed today in Ozzy.com talking about this moment of anachronism where white Americans are having this sort of moment of clarity that Oedipus had, uh, where they're recognizing the inequities that exist, not just uh, in their, their small communities, but writ large across all 50 states. But then I think others, you know, their idea of racial equality is, you know, when black Americans attain some sort of sense of freedom and citizenship, uh, they feel like something is being taken away from them. So that could be an issue that could be interpreted in one of two ways. Uh, I think the coronavirus, 18%, is surprising to me just because uh, it's affecting so many folks uh, in their daily lives, economically, but also in how they are educating their children right. and, and healthcare as well. So I, I thought, that, I think that that number would have been higher. We'll continue in a minute. This is America. Are we ready? From WNYC in New York, this is America. Are we ready tonight? Are we ready to count the votes? I'm Brian Lehrer from WNYC with Christina Greer, politics editor for The Grio and political science professor at Fordham University. And also joining us now for a few minutes is Stephen Fowler, political reporter for Georgia Public Broadcasting and host of the podcast there, Battleground Ballot Box. Hi, Stephen. Thanks for joining us on what I know is a super busy night for you. Hi. Thanks for having me, Brian. So Georgia has already been counting the early votes to be ready for this moment. Do you have a reveal? Well, you know, the interesting reveal of the day is that the results for Georgia, the final results, will probably largely be decided based on what happened before the end of October. We had 3.9 million Georgians cast an absentee ballot or show up for early in-person voting. And turnout in Election Day today has been shockingly low. Polls that we visited and talked to people across the state saw way, way fewer people than they were anticipating, meaning that the bulk of the votes and the bulk of the results are going to come in from these early votes. And that's just something that from Democrat to Republican to election official just weren't anticipating. Would that be good for Democrats? Should I read it that way? <laughs> well, you know, looking at the data that we can, um, about half of the early votes were people that voted in the partisan primaries, and Democrats had a several-point advantage in that regard. The other half are people that didn't really vote in the previous presidential election, but they skewed younger and more diverse, which tend to favor Democrats. And with that low election day turnout, the Republicans were counting on kind of biting into the advantage that Democrats had, I think you could probably see a positive result for Joe Biden and Democrats in Georgia. And when do you think we'll know that, at least about all those early votes? Um, Georgia, as I understand it, is one of those states that is allowed to count them along the way. And, you know, some other states have to uh, wait until the polls close today to even start counting the absentee ballots or even until today's in-person votes are counted before they start counting the absentee ballot. Not so with Georgia. In theory, this absentee ballot surge, the results are known at this hour, are they? 
Well, right. So Georgia has a rule change recently that counties could start two weeks ago, start processing all of the absentee ballots that come in. And then with all the early votes coming in, they can process that as well. So, you know, as we speak, we have counties uploading their early and absentee ballot results. You know, a couple hundred thousand votes have already come in. And so as counties wrap up packing up the voting machines and delivering memory cards to the county headquarters, in the next couple hours, you will see floods of results coming in from Georgia. And, you know, we won't probably see every single vote counted tonight because of the nature of the processing and the counting and uh, reviewing things. We should have a really, really good idea of where things stand in the Peach State before bedtime. Christina Greer, anything you want to ask Stephen Fowler from Georgia Public Broadcasting before he go, goes back to his real job? Right. And thank you so much for joining us. Uh, are there any particular uh, parts of the state that are surprising to you, Stephen? I mean, we know that the Atlanta metro area uh, has been you know, quite robust. We saw this in the 2018 governor's race between Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp, former secretary of state and now governor. Uh, are there any other parts of the state that are somewhat uh, interesting or surprising as far as turnout is concerned? Right. So looking at the early voting data, uh, I mapped turnout by precinct for all 2,600 Georgia precincts, all 159 counties. And surprisingly, you know, some of the top turnout counties are rural strongholds, Republican strongholds that took advantage of rule changes that made it easier for people to vote by mail and easier for people to vote in person. So you had some rural counties in Georgia that had nearly three quarters of their total registered voters cast a ballot before Election Day. And so some of that contributes to a shortage of line and a shortage of voters here at the polls on Election Day. But it will be interesting to see, you know, in this battleground state that's become very purple to see if the early voting taken advantage of by Republicans ends up giving enough of a rural wall to offset the surge in Metro Atlanta voters. Stephen Fowler from Georgia Public Broadcasting and host of the podcast Battleground Ballot Box. I hope your night isn't too long tonight, Stephen. Thank you for giving us a few minutes. Thanks for having me. And let's take another caller. One of our questions out there for you all this hour is, if you voted today, why did you, vote? Why did you wait until today with so many early voting options this year? And let's hear from Shahed in Suffolk County on Long Island. That's uh, Long Island, New York, for those of you who don't know. Hi, Shahed. You're on America. Are we ready? Yes. Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm okay. You voted today? Yes, I did. Um, the reason I voted today was I tried uh, voting, uh, doing the early voting before. I went a couple of times. The lines were so long. And I really didn't have time to wait for that long. You know, there, there were lines almost uh, going around for about two hours. So um, I just told my wife and um, my daughter, you guys can stay here. I'm a doctor. So uh, I, I had to go back to work. Mm -hmm. so I said, you guys can, uh, you know, cast your vote and then uh, I'll try another time. So while my wife and my daughter were standing in line for early voting, um, it's mostly Republican area and mostly Trump supporters here. So my wife and my daughter, they both wear the headscarf. They're, uh, they're Muslims. Mm -hmm. So somebody passed a very derogatory remark on my daughter. So she was a first-time voter. She's also a medical student. 
and she was so upset that she came home crying. So initially I thought I will not work because I really didn't have time because of my job schedule. But then I decided, you know, it's time for me to take time off. And uh, I just had to postpone my clinic this morning uh, to come and vote today. So I voted for Biden uh, just because it was uh, very important for me and, uh, you know, Very dedicated, (laughs) yes, very dedicated doctor. And uh, thank you for voting. Thank you for taking some time to call us as well. AP now calling Virginia for Joe Biden. West Virginia for Donald Trump. I guess those uh, states got a divorce a long time ago. And <laughs> and <laughs> Virginia, once the capital of the Confederacy, Christina, has turned blue in recent elections. So no surprise there that Virginia is for Biden or that West Virginia is for Trump. No, not at all. Um, you know, that's not super shocking. I think the states that a lot of us are looking at this evening will be North Carolina, uh, Georgia, Florida, obviously, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and then just Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, just because of some of the activity that we saw in 2016. But Virginia and West Virginia aren't a surprise at all. Now, if Biden wins either Pennsylvania or North Carolina, there will be almost no path for President Trump. And with us now from North Carolina for a few minutes is Rusty Jacobs, politics reporter at WUNC in Chapel Hill. Hi, Rusty. Thanks for a little while. I know you're crunched tonight. Welcome to America. Are we ready? Thank you. The polls were supposed to close at 7.30, about 18 minutes ago, but my understanding is uh, the voting has been extended. Is that right? Yeah, most polls have closed. Uh, The issue is a few polling sites this morning got off to a late start, either technical problems or, frankly, staff showing up late uh, because those the hours were extended for those sites until 8.15. No results will come out until all polls are closed. That means no, no earlier than 8.15. Uh, we won't see any results before then. Um, does that indicate anything about anything, like about how the voting will go, how long the lines were, anything like that? Do you have any indications about... Results. I know North Carolina is another one of those states where they were able to count the early votes as they came in. So supposedly you could have something to announce any time now. Well, and, and, and again, the results will come out as soon as all polls have closed. Uh, in fact, uh, by the end of election night, state elections officials are confident we'll know 97 percent of the results. Uh, and that is because of what you said. North Carolina this year, uh, thanks to bipartisan legislation passed in June, uh, gave county elections officials five weeks total. They, they were able to start on September 29th, tabulating all the absentee ballots that were coming in. The, 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 the extended hours for tonight are not an indication of anything unusual. This happens quite often. In fact, I would say North Carolina has been a model for efficiency. Uh, again, absentee ballots coming in, in historic, at historic levels, uh, that won't slow anything down. Uh, we're just not going to see the first results, the early voting results uh, come out before 8.15, again, because of the late openings for some of the sites. I saw some exit polls that the networks have been reporting from North Carolina, not on the candidates, but one of them is the gender split, if the exit poll is right, is 56% women, 
44% men. I'm curious if you saw that and if that would be unusual to have that 12-point gender gap, 56 women, 44 men, or if that would uh, tell you anything if it's true. I mean, it tells me just that a lot of people, that you're going to see growth in certain demographics. Uh, You know, Tufts has been doing research on the the youth turnout, Uh, voters 18 to 29. North Carolina was right up at the top behind Florida and Texas for the number of voters in that age range coming out in much greater numbers. Uh, than previously. I think you're going to see a higher than than average turnout among black, or at least certainly higher than the 2016 among black voters in North Carolina, a key constituency. And the polling I've seen both from uh, state polls and from polls outside of North Carolina showing that Joe Biden has an edge with both the demographics we mentioned, black voters and women voters. So it, it could indicate an advantage uh, for the Biden-Harris ticket. Right. And of course, a big question tonight will be how big an edge and how big is the turnout among those groups? Let me throw one more at you. A North Carolina exit poll result on the question, did you vote more for your candidate or against the other guy? And 75 percent said they voted for their candidate as opposed to voting against the other guy. And in this year, when there's so much campaigning against the other side as scary, no matter which side you're on, I'm curious if you're surprised by that, or if you think, um, if that exit poll is accurate, that it might augur well for Trump, because so much of this is a referendum on him. Right. I I mean, look, my research, which included going to places like Granville County, uh, which we call a swing county in a swing state. Um, it's it's not far from the triangle, a little more exurban, so there's bigger patches or bigger stretches of, of rural areas. Uh, you found everybody pretty fixed. You found the Democrats uh, either voting for Biden because they didn't want to see Trump reelected or voting by, for Biden because they liked him. You saw Republicans sticking by Trump and the, the unaffiliated voters I spoke with uh, also seem to be leaning Republican. But you got to remember uh, in North Carolina, it's going to be tight, but there's four to six percent of likely voters who in polls identify themselves as undecided. Uh, they're going to be the key to the results. Uh, so it, it's hard to say, but I've come across only voters who seem pretty fixed uh, in their in their partisan ruts. We thank Rusty Jacobs, politics reporter at WUNC in Chapel Hill, for giving everybody a little insight into what's going on in North Carolina tonight. You also gave us a post, a hard post to watch for, 815, right? Watch that moment. Uh, and uh, we'll see what they can um, we'll see what they can can release about all those early votes. Rusty, thanks a lot. You're welcome. And Christina Greer, any reaction there? North Carolina, a state that went for Obama in 2008, but Trump in 2016. Right. I'm, I mean, I'm I'm encouraged by the early voting numbers. I'm discouraged by some of the voter suppression tactics we saw in the the last few days with police officers uh, pepper spraying women, men, children, the elderly, and the disabled. So I am uh, concerned about, I, I call it voter suppression a la carte, where we're seeing, we're seeing voter suppression in small areas and counties here and there. Uh, not necessarily a concerted effort, but a widespread concerted effort, but uh, little pockets, which could be enough to turn the state one way or the other. 
Um, we also have to remember, Brian, that this is our second election, that we're voting without the full protection of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. And so that does make a difference. And we know that certain states have a, a, a real um, desire to maintain power because this is also a census year. So based on some and of these results, we'll be redrawing lines. And this is? For the next uh, 10 years. This is America. Are we ready? We have another caller from a split household, William outside Detroit. William, you're on America. Are we ready? Hi there. Hi there. So do you have another tale of, of woe and tension and difficulty under the same roof like we heard from somebody a little while ago? Uh, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I voted for Biden. And um, I'm an engineer who's a caregiver. Um, is very cautious about COVID as I used to go into BL4 labs at Walter Reed. Wow. So with that in my background, um, you know, caregiver for a person who has cancer still, that supports Trump. It's real hard. Uh, with a bunch of other family that supports Trump, with only uh, a few friends that support Biden. Um, yeah, so where I live, too, when you, in the north suburbs of Detroit, it's, I'll be honest with you, it's very concerning because it's just all Trump. It's just all Trump up here. And, you know, you get a lone supporter of Biden and, you know, people look at you different because you're still wearing a mask. Why, why do you, what's your understanding of why your neighbors are so pro-Trump or even the cancer survivor who you're taking care of who it sounds like you're even more amazed that considering the vulner vulnerability to COVID that, that they support Trump. What's your best understanding of their reason? I think they grew up with him. They always thought he was someone to look up to, to be honest. Uh, with my mom, she only supports him because he seems to support Israel. William, thank you very much. Christina, we've got about a minute, under a minute left in the show. You want to close out, I should say, in this hour of coverage, because with other folks, the coverage is going to continue for we don't know how long, maybe until Christmas. Uh, but you want to give people a, a last thought, what to look or watch or listen or follow your notifications and your Twitter feed for? Yeah, I mean, I think so many people are so nervous and anxious and scared. And I've been saying before, you know, you have to ask yourself, did you do everything you could do to uh, help fight for the candidate that you believe in and move the democracy forward? I think this is also an election that has shown us that our vote is one of the most sacred uh, responsibilities and privileges Absolutely. we have as American citizens. Absolutely. So uh, hopefully for those who didn't participate, uh, they'll think and if they can participate, They'll think about, especially for the New Yorkers, participating in 2021 when we have all of our municipal elections uh, that are quite right. important as well. Several potential swing states are about to close, including Michigan, Pennsylvania, Texas, and New Hampshire. So stay tuned as public radio election night coverage continues with Fordham University political science professor Christina Greer, co-host of the podcast FAQ NYC and politics editor for The Grio. I'm Brian Lehrer from WNYC.